Hi, and welcome to Somewhat Decent Reviews. I'm Laura. And I'm Molly. And we're your hosts. We are your hosts. Welcome to week four. Welcome to week four. Episode four. Episode four. It's actually, it's been many weeks. (laughs) But we only have four episodes. So week four. How you doing? What you been listening to this week? This week, I've been listening to Mitski's new album. You know Mitski? I do know Mitski. Awesome. Yeah. She's um, a Japanese-American singer-songwriter. She's been putting out albums for a little while now, since like 2012. And this is her new one. It's called Laurel Hello. And it came out on February 4th. So very recent. Very it's recent. It's really good, dude. It's really fun. I mean, in true Mitski fashion, it's like a little bit emotional, a little bit dancey, a little bit poppy, but also kind of like folky. I don't know. It's a really cool eclectic mix up of some stuff, but she's got this just kind of unique voice that is really intriguing. Um, usually like to, I just really like to listen to her sing. I think she's really great. So I was really excited when I saw that she came out with a new album. Yeah. I haven't um, listened to this new album and I haven't listened to much Mitski. Um, I think I put her on one time and I was like, not super into whatever I was listening to. And so I just didn't really give it a second chance, but I think I should give yeah. Mitski another chance. Yeah. I mean, it also might not be for everybody, right? Like not all music is for everyone. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, you know, you might not like Mitzi that much, but I think a lot of people are really hyped on her. I don't think that she's like desperately needing more fans. I think she has a lot of really dedicated fans. Okay. So she won't be hurting if I don't join the fan club. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say is that if you don't join the hordes of people who are on Mitzi's train, then I don't think she's going to like really hold it against you long-term. That's great. I love that Mitski doesn't hold grudges. Long term. Long term. Maybe <laughs> in the short term. Yeah. What have you been listening to? Oh, uh, yeah. What have you been listening to? Oh. Uh, <laughs> did you think of something? No, I just saw on our shared document what you're about to review and I got really excited. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're excited for my review? Yeah, I can't um, wait to hear a fun thing about Molly and I's shared uh, document for each episode, which is basically <laughs> just our notes, is that um, when we're about to sign on to start the episode, Molly will type to me in the document because she, they know that I'm in it. And so then I'll type back and Molly just was like, Laura, where are you? And I was like, I'm right yeah. here, dude. Let me into the Zoom. I think like a big F you to someone would be if you were like typing away on you know zoom shared zoom document and then you just like (laughs) deleted everything that they wrote and then like they would try to write it they'd be like what the fuck and they'd try to write it again and you'd be like whoops my hand slipped my hand deleted I just I don't know how that happened I just clicked select all and then the delete button yeah how terrible (laughs) big Big oops. Um, yeah. Super rude. If you want, you know, save that, mark totally. that in your uh, things to do to my enemies. Things to do to my enemies. Just delete all of their Google documents. Oh my God. Yeah. Actually, that is kind of terrifying to me. I feel like I've got some real gems <laughs> stored away in there. <laughs> yeah, you never know when someone's going to hop in and delete them. <laughs> I've got a lot of enemies. God. <laughs> anyways Laura what were you listening to yeah to answer your question about what I'm listening to back on track here um 
I'm listening to the magnetic fields. Um, we mm-hmm. had hmm. a hang this weekend and, um, Meg, hi Meg, hi Meg, Meg asked us to, uh, play Molly plays guitar and Meg asked Molly to play a song on guitar. Um, and it was a magnetic, magnetic field song. Um, which one was it, Molly? Is that how it went, dude? I don't think that's how it went. The way it went was that Meg was like, Hey, I asked this really awesome musician to learn a cover of this song for my sweetie for Valentine's day, listen to this song. And so then we watched the movie of that recording and the song was book of love. Right. Okay. That's way cuter. Sorry. Then we also got out the guitar. You're not that far off because we did get out the guitar and we played some tunes after. Yeah. Yeah. So that reminded me, um, of the magnetic fields because we were watching this video that Meg commissioned of book of love. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, magnetic fields. I love the magnetic fields and I've forgotten about them, you know? And then I was talking about with you guys about how sometimes you get really excited about a band when it comes out and then you play it over and over and over again, you play it constantly and then you kind of tire yourself out on them and then you forget about them for like years that's yeah. kind of like the magnetic fields for me. I really liked them when they came out um, or a little after they came out when I discovered them. They're from like their first album was in like 94, I think. Um, but they're w- one of their most popular albums, which is called 69 Love Songs, which I re-listened to a lot this weekend. Um, what came out in 99, what it sounds like, it's a bunch of love songs. Um, and yeah, I just love I just love the magnetic fields because they're super zany and a little out there, but also like right in line with all of the the bands of that era that got kind of popular, like Animal Collective and Modest Mouse and like that totally. genre of indie rock. Um, the magnetic love fields it. kind of fit right in with right in line with those those groups. Um, yeah, I love the there's multiple singers, but uh, the main one of the main people who writes the songs and kind of the front man is named Stephen Merritt. And uh, he's got a great voice, a nice, mm. deep, nice, deep, manly singing voice. <laughs> he's got kind of a quirky voice, like maybe mm-hmm. you'd hear him singing in a bar and you'd think to yourself, oh, that's a cool song. And this guy's voice is like, all right. But then, you know, he's like mm-hmm. one of the lead singers of Magnetic Fields. And he is just, I think it's like, cause he's really commanding and he has mm-hmm. a really commanding energy and such a skill for songwriting and performing. And so, you know, it just kind of goes to show like, you don't have to have the most quintessential, like perfect voice. Yes. Yeah, so I was, I've been listening to 69 love songs, been listening to some of their earlier stuff. Their first album from 1994 is really good. I forget what it's called, but yeah, give them a listen. Magnetic nice, Fields. Yeah. Give them a re-listen if you haven't listened to them in a while. Re-fix Maybe they're it. on your regular rotation, but I forget I about that. them every couple of years and then I re-listen. You get to go back. Yep. Taking it back. What did you what did you read this week? What did I read this week? So I think a few episodes ago, I talked about how I've been really into short stories recently. Short stories are great. They're really digestible. It's like you get it all wrapped up into this nice little like 10 to 15 page um, like section, which is kind of nice. So I'm reading a book called Disability Visibility. Um, It was really popular. It came out, I think last year, maybe a year and a half ago. It's edited by Alice Wong. Um, And it's just a collection of short stories, essays, like first person experiences and accounts of living life with a disability and um, just talks a lot about ableism and 
the systemic oppression of folks with disability um, talks about, you know, how the world is really not built for individuals with disabilities. And it's really can be really challenging to navigate and Mm -hmm. how there's just like not a lot of supports for people out there and how like representation matters. And I don't know, it's, it's really beautiful book. Um, Hard to read at times because you're hearing from folks who have been just abused by people and systems of power. Yeah. There's a lot of firsthand accounts of people of color with disability and queer people of color with disability. And it's like, oh God, we just talk about intersectionality and yeah, systems of oppression for when you live at an, that intersection, there's so many things working to hold you down. So this book is yeah good. It's like, it really will make you kind of rethink the way you navigate the world. If you are able-bodied um, can kind of put some things into perspective and yeah. That's a special uh, thing to be able to read about letting you into other people's perspectives and um, probably something that the most able-bodied people could really benefit from reading. Totally. I think especially because a lot of people near our age, and I don't know if this is true for you, but definitely was true for me on the East coast. I grew up and came of age like in the nineties and early two thousands when secluded classrooms were really a thing. And Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of kids with disabilities in my classroom. I didn't, Mm -hmm. um, have a lot of experience navigating the world with people who experience disability. And that's such a freaking shame. Like how better off we would all be if we learned about differences and how we all have worth and value from such a young age. And we stopped excluding kids from things and rather included them and said, yeah, this person does things a little differently. Isn't that cool? Like yeah. we have something to learn from that, you yeah. know, and I don't know. It's so important. So it's very important. Awesome. I highly recommend it. Um, and you know, I have a lot of books on my shelf about disability justice and disability advocacy. So it's probably not the last time you'll hear me talk about this topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you also work in, um, disability justice. So I do. Yeah. So it's, it is something close to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Laura? What were you reading? I, uh, I guess I've just been doing a week of throwbacks in a certain respect. I picked up a book on my bookshelf because I think I was telling you that you should read it, but, yes. um, I, uh, picked up this book called Alana or Alana by Tamara Pierce. Um, it came out in 1983 and it's part of a quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is firmly in the YA fantasy genre. So buckle up guys. Um, it's about <laughs> an 11 year old girl who switches places with her twin brother. Um, they like grow up in a household. It's in like a fief. I don't even know. It's medieval times. It's like pseudo medieval times in, in, in a fantasy world, um, but written very much in the style of like a medieval historical book. Mm-hmm. Um, and she switches places with her brother um, when they're like 11 years old and he's going off to supposed to be becoming a knight and she's supposed to go off to a convent. And they're both like very much like, I don't, he's like, I don't want to go off to become a knight. Like, I don't like fighting. I don't like learning, you know, those kinds of fighting arts. Um, and she's like, I'm really good at fighting. Like, I want to learn how to use a sword. I want to do all of those things. And he's like, I would rather learn magic because in this book series, there's magic and people in the convent and the priesthood can learn to be sorcerers and witches cool. and things like that. 
So uh, they trade places and her brother goes off to learn magic to be a priest and a sorcerer. And she's uh, mm-hmm. goes off to become a knight and she has to like hide her identity. Um, and I first read these books when I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, yes. And they were very formative for me. They're obviously very gender bendy. So that mm-hmm. felt really interesting and cool. I was kind of a tomboy growing up in certain respects because I wanted to be just like my brother. Um, and so yeah. I just really identified with the character being like, I'm tough. I want to go do all the stuff that boys get to do that I don't get to do, you know? And um, mm-hmm. just really identified with that and wanted to like live vicariously through this girl. Um, I was really, really hyped on these books as a preteen yeah. and definitely like they still hold up I picked it up to read the first book again just like it was like oh, I'll just read a couple pages and then I was like engrossed mm-hmm. right away um the author Tamora Pierce is a pretty amazing like feminist YA uh young adult if you're not familiar with the genre um author and um I really like the way she writes. She always writes really strong female characters or gender bendy characters. Um, she definitely tr- seeks to equalize the playing field for the male and female characters in her books. Um, or at least she did in, in the eighties when, you know, a lot of her first books came out. So yeah, I do recommend it. It's definitely like can be read by teenagers or adults. Um, kind of like Harry Potter. Sometimes that's kind of what we want. I mean, I know a lot of people my parents included who are you know obviously older than us who mm-hmm. love young adult <laughs> like they love reading like young adult novels my parents are always calling and recommending like oh did you read this book and I'll pick it up and I'm like this is written for a fourth grader and I love it it takes me like a day or two to get through and I'm yeah. like yeah that's great yeah I think people need to destigmatize reading YA books especially in this yeah. uh current climate of short attention spans like our attention spans are so much shorter because of social media and the way that media is made nowadays and so it's kind of like refreshing to be like oh I can pick up a book and read it in a couple days it's not too heavy little victories right I'm like I read this book and it only took me a few days wow what an accomplishment it's like that is such an accomplishment dude <laughs> like, yeah absolutely when you don't have a lot but um, I know. so speaking of gender bendy I was telling you about a movie that I watched this week. I watched Paper Moon and this is a really good movie. It was made in 1973. It's in black and white. It's set in the 1930s. It's about this little girl whose parent dies when she's really small. She's like a super gender bendy kid. You're like, she's really kind of a tomboy. She's sort of rough and tumble. She like has terrible language. She's eight years old and she's like chain smoking cigarettes. It's wild. Um, but she gets paired up with this dude. He's like this kind of youngish man. Who's like, I'm going to take you up North to your aunt's house, but he's kind of like a vagabond. He's doing anything he can to make money. And along the way they start like reading the death notices. And then they'll go to these people's houses and they'll be like, oh, well, is Marshall here? And then the lady is like, Marshall died. And they're like, well, he ordered you this Bible before he died. It's only $10. And like all these widows are like, oh, and they'll like give them all this money. And they end up just making bank, right? Like they're making so much money. Um, They're just like traveling around being vagabonds and criminals. And there's like a whole subplot of like, is this guy actually her dad or not um yeah it's interesting 
he's like a con man then he kind of is but we also i think we never get clarification but you come away from the film feeling like that guy was probably her dad Mm -hmm. and her mom was working in like a brothel probably um Mm -hmm. and because because it's the great depression and everybody's like very struggling so I have a question. Good. How yeah, how did um how did this movie make you like feel uh, during or after? Um, this movie was intriguing to me during. I was like, "What is mm-hmm. this really? What this movie is about?" Like, mm-hmm. I was actually pretty engaged because it's funny at times. It's like it is a weird movie to watch because I don't know. I've never seen a. I haven't seen a lot of movies that are set during the great depression. I don't know if it was necessarily, it's necessarily a time that tons of movies are made about. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is, and I just haven't seen them. If there is, please send us a message on Instagram. Let me know other (laughs) movies to watch that are set during the time of the great depression. But I thought that was really interesting. I thought the story was quirky. I liked that this kid was like, I don't know. She she was just really fierce and kind of like scrappy. Yeah. Scrappy. I liked it. Would you recommend to someone, you know? Yeah, sure. I would recommend it. Why not? If you're somebody who kind of is interested in like older film and you're looking for something that's like an hour and a half, that is Mm going to be interesting and engaging and kind of cinematically cool. Like I think obviously it was done in black and white because they wanted you to feel like you were watching a movie in the 30s or something yeah it sounds like a John Cassavetes movie to me almost yeah I wonder who the director was let me check it out I'm interested it's uh Peter Bogdanovich Peter Bogdanovich Uh uh-huh he's the director he's very well known is he yeah he he was wow I think he died I could be wrong most likely you know He, he passed away. Oh, wow, dude, you're on. He died literally January 6th, 2022, like a month and a half ago. Yeah. Wow. You got your eyes on the directors. Well, I did study film. So I, did. <laughs> I know that. Um, That's funny. What did you watch this week? What, what did I watch this week? I watched uh, a movie called Big Night. It was made in 1996. Um, It was written by Stanley Tucci, who's also an actor, well-known actor, although he's more of a character actor, but he's great. Uh, Written by Stanley Tucci and a guy named Joseph Tropiano and directed by Stanley Tucci and a guy named Campbell Scott. So really, and also stars Stanley Tucci and Tony Shalhoub, who plays Monk, um, amongst other things. But um, yeah, it definitely feels very much like Stanley Tucci's pet project like a movie that he really wanted to make so he like wrote it directed it and starred in it you know and probably produced it and it's uh it's set in a beachside italian town in the 1950s or not italian american town uh, an east coast kind of beachy town where there's a large italian american population um and it's about these two brothers who run a restaurant together um stanley tucci's character is kind of like front of house and the tony shalhoub's character is kind of like back of house like the cook they're just like characters um and their acting is really good in this movie the main thing that i really liked about this movie was their dynamic with each other because they kind of like bicker and they don't see eye to eye on things and but they love each other um 
And they actually both speak Italian in the movie at various points. So there's a little bit of subtitles. It's mostly in English, but it's kind of funny because there's just kind of like bickering and then fighting and switching between Italian and English. And the restaurant's struggling and they're like barely making ends meet. And it's kind of the story is basically just that Stanley Tucci is trying to like pr- basically save the restaurant, but he doesn't really communicate that to Tony Shalhoub, to um, his character. Their names are Primo and Secundo, like first and second um, wow. in the movie. <laughs> um so yeah and they're, they're kind of like lack of understanding of each other and weird sibling dynamics and running this business it's just like obvious that they re- really care for each other but they're both not telling each other the whole story about everything you know mm. um and they have they want different things um I yeah so it, it uh, you know not a lot happens in the movie there it's mostly just about them trying to save the restaurant by getting this like famous singer like this italian american singer to come and play at their restaurant um <laughs> a show um so not actually a lot happens but it's definitely like a character study of these two people and their lives and um I don't know if I would recommend it or not. On the one hand, I really liked the acting. I thought it was really interesting. I thought certain parts of it were well-written. Um, the story itself was kind of weird. Like it wasn't totally like, I felt like it could have been made better. Like, um, yeah, it was just, it was That's just funny. kind of like a, a, similarly to the movie that you watched, it was intriguing yeah. to me. Um, you know, so we we have a couple of like, somewhat decent films yeah. somewhat decent reviews of some somewhat decent films like exactly. we we're like yeah I mean like watch it if you want I guess yeah. but like yeah. you don't have to you're not really like missing out if you don't yeah but you I could. would say <laughs> I would say if you're a big like Stanley Tucci and or Tony Shalhoub fan um like if you've you really probably already Tom, seen it <laughs> yeah you probably would have already seen it but if you haven't it's definitely worth a watch it's interesting it's strange a little strange um and mm-hmm. If you're Italian American, maybe watch it for that because they're they're actually from Italy, but they also have a lot of American qualities because they've been yeah. living in the U.S. for a while. So that was the movie cool. that I watched. That's really interesting, huh? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, what Dude. about uh TV? Have you been watching? Yeah. So yeah. Oh God, I've been watching some stuff, <laughs> and I know that I wrote on our little shared document that I'm gonna I was gonna review a specific show but I think I'm going to do it in an upcoming week because recently yeah. I have been sucked into watching Love is Blind oh my god I haven't god, seen dude. it yet okay Ever. well if you can get past the ableist name of the show yeah it's an actually interesting concept the concept is that there are a bunch of single men and single <laughs> women who just happen to all be straight mm-hmm. wild um yeah and they i mean you know or they proclaim that they're straight if you'd watched last season um there was like a lot of i don't know i don't want to get into the controversy there but there was a character who was bi and got pretty much shit on and it was really sad Mm, um so you know but we know that reality dating television has a long way to go in terms of queer representation like I think that there's a lot of biphobia still out there on reality television when Mm -hmm. in reality, I think there's a lot more people who are on a spectrum of gender and sexual orientation and we just don't talk about it. It's all a spectrum. I think it's going to change. I think we're going to start talking about it more, but anyways, to get back to the show, 
the premise is that there's a group of single men, single women, and they go into these things called pods where it's like one guy will be in one and a girl will be in the other and they will basically talk to each other and they just get to get to know each other by talking and there's like a wall between them so they never get to see what each other looks like and over time of like kind of all the different people meet up with the all the other people and eventually people will start pairing off and being like I'm really enjoying talking to this one person you know and so then they spend some time talking and getting to know each other and building these relationships at what point do they get to face to face with each other like Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you because it's wild. They don't get to face-to-face each other until they are engaged. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so that's the whole thing. Whoa. Okay, so they're in these pods. They have like maybe a week, two weeks, two weeks to get to know each other. And then they propose, somebody proposes. Um, and of course, because it is a heteronormative show, it's always the guy, he proposes, the girl's like, okay. Um, and then they meet face to face for the first time and they go on what is like a, I think it's like two weeks, three weeks on like a holiday, like a vacation. They go on a trip together and then at the freaking pulpit, they decide one, they both have to say, I do. And if one of them says, I don't, then that they break up. Okay. This is Nick and Vanessa Lachey's show. I think this was like their what? concept. Yeah, Nick Lachey. Um, I think this was one of the, either their concept or they got roped into hosting or they have some kind of affiliation with the show. Weird. And let me tell you, this show has freaking blown up. I was on my TV earlier and I saw Love is Blind Brazil, Love is Blind Japan, Love is Blind. <laughs> like there's, it's like taking off, it's everywhere. There's Love is Blind literally all over the place um fascinating and the reason it's interesting is because in season one we've already had a season one and I think there was what maybe four or five couples who ended up together and of those like who ended up really liking each other and leaving the pods and going on this vacation and wanting to get married right and I'm pretty sure that two of them actually did get married and are still married like to this day, which is like almost two and a half, three years later and like very happy. And then there's a couple of other couples who I think didn't get married, but decided to continue dating and like stayed sort of together. So it's an interesting concept, but this show I've been like, I've just been going off about it. I'm like, what is going on? You just really get to dissect relationships. Mm -hmm. So you feel you feel like it keeps you like it hooks you like it keeps your attention even though there's not like it's just two people sitting in a room talking or two separate rooms talking it's just not that though there's so much drama laura because you forget that maybe one guy is talking to two girls and he has a strong relationship with both of them and then those girls live in a little apartment together and then they have to hear each other talk about i love brad he's so cute and the other one's like brad told me i was his number one you know oh shit and you really don't know what the person looks like and so right now there's a bunch of drama because there's this one guy and i don't like him bad news (laughs) what's his name i don't know i can't remember i blocked it from my memory because i don't (laughs) like him so much i think it's brad there is some drama too about people when they finally meet face to face one of them is like oh god i just don't know if i like the energy as much as i did when we were in the pods you know 
And so it's really interesting. It's, it's a very interesting show. Right. That I would recommend. That sounds like a lot. Um, <laughs> like a hot mess of a show in a good yeah. way. And I'm sure that I would like it. I mean, I love Love Island, so I probably would like that. If well. you, yeah, if you're someone who is like me and interested or into like reality TV, I love the drama. I mean, yeah, I, I enjoy watching them. I think it's really fun to, to analyze and dissect human behavior, but you're like a TV sociologist. Yes. I'm building uh, parasocial relationships with these characters and analyzing their behavior. <laughs> um, what did you watch? Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch it. Uh, put it on my list put it on the list. <laughs> I watched, um, a show called the white Lotus. It's been out for a little while. It came out last year. Um, so not super old, but it's on HBO. Um, it's an ensemble cast. Uh, so like lots of really good actors and then some more unknown actors, but Jennifer Coolidge is in it. She's in like, um, God so much, but she's a really amazing comedic actress. She's in, um, best in show. She's in all of the, uh, movies that are made by that guy, Christopher Guest. Uh, I can't, can't remember what else she's been in but she's been in a ton of movies uh Connie Britton is in it Mm. lots of people Uh, Natasha Rothwell who plays um Kelly on Insecure is in it in a serious role um and Steve Zahn is in it um also a great comedic actor it's basically about a group of uh hotel guests who are rich rich um and very privileged um on a trip in Hawaii. Um, they're staying at the, this resort called the white Lotus. I think, I think that's mm. what it's called. Um, and then it's about the staff that work at the hotel. Um, so it kind of goes back and forth between the staff and their interior world and the way that they have to, the, the bullshit that they have to put up with, with in working, you know, in the service industry, in you know a hotel really rich resort environment where all of their clientele are very well off and very privileged and very annoying um and then it kind of flip-flops between them and the rich guests and all of their drama um and it's like both funny at times and like sad and um I think it's really well made in general but I think it's really well shot as well um and in true uh, HBO show fashion yeah in true HBO fashion it's made like every other HBO show in that it's very impeccably made um what happens when you have high budget production yeah when you have a (laughs) big studio budget um yeah I thought the acting was really good I thought they had a cool cast like interesting actors that you don't see all the time but that you've seen in other stuff before and then Mm. some like more famous people but um yeah I would definitely recommend it it's definitely like I don't know that there's going to be another season because it's kind of like kind of has a bookend, but it's essentially like kind of a slow unraveling of a bunch of different people for a bunch of different reasons. Um, And then kind of like how they all are affected by each other. And um, I definitely feel like the tension uh, builds each episode. So if you're into like suspense uh I think this show would be for you because it is like a slow burning suspense show um in an interesting done in an interesting way um 
Yeah. It's funny because when you said you were doing white Lotus and then you started talking about it, I was like, Oh, maybe I'm confused as to what Laura's reviewing because I felt like the preview that I saw for the white Lotus I was thinking of was a little bit more like nerve wracking and suspenseful. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, it's funny. And I was like, wait, really? I would not have guessed that from the preview or the trailer or whatever. It's funny in this, in the sense that like you are kind of like laughing at some of the rich characters and their like ridiculous like privileged ideas of the world and also that like as the staff like you're with the staff people who are like and also the staff people are kind of like like the main one of the main characters of the show is um the kind of like director of the resort um and he's totally just like losing his mind like he's having an emotional breakdown kind of throughout the show but in like a kind of slow descent kind of way um he's just like fed up with his job and it's like right everything he can do to kind of keep his cool throughout the week that all of these people are there and there's like oh my god a couple people in particular who are just really pushing his buttons dude I don't know if you've ever worked for um like a resort but I, no. I grew up working for resorts that was like my job from the age of 14 until I pretty much was like I don't know 27 or 8 Um, I just worked for resorts and it is a thing. Like there is a specific Mm -hmm. kind of resort culture, the people who come to resorts and it's like, I don't know. I mean, my Libra, I have like Libra in my chart somewhere. And so I'm able to say like, yeah, I understand these people. It's like their vacation. They Mm -hmm. worked really hard. They want to be here. They're like paying a lot of money to do this. And then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but they like, they're not paying to to treat me like dirt. <laughs> like no. you're paying, like, you know, you realize that if you just treat me nicely, like I can actually help to make this really expensive vacation, really fun and nice for you, but you're treating me like shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't actually want to help you, but yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's, um, it's pretty ridiculous. I think like a lot of service industry jobs, you know, yeah. you kind of suffer the insufferable customers, um, or, patrons or whatever and I'm sure resorts working at resorts it's like 10 times worse than at a coffee shop where they like leave after a little while but um I've definitely worked in food service and I am a service worker now in a certain way because I'm a care worker um and it's yeah it's definitely emotionally taxing I think it might be almost worse working like at with service jobs because those people will come in maybe for years, they'll come in like twice a week. Right. And you have to deal with them for like years. Whereas a resort it's like, okay, Molly, if you can get through like one week with this family or something like that, and then you're, they're done. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, I don't know. It's like for every bad experience too, there's a lot of good ones, but Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think it's definitely like, if I ever have kids, I want them to work a service job just to fucking know what the world is like, you know? Um, because I think it's a very important formative life lesson to work as a service worker. Um, and I think most people don't have a choice. They just, that's just what they do. Um, and I think if, I don't know, I think it definitely taught me a lot about life being a service worker and working in Mm -hmm. all the different jobs that I did retail food service, care work, all those realms um yep yeah definitely definitely needed um but yeah kind of a shit show a shit show a shit show Um, speaking of well uh, speaking of that (laughs) I was gonna tell you about my podcast this week which is actually called s-town or shit town I don't know if anybody's heard of this 
it's it was a huge podcast i think a number of years ago molly was just really late to the game yeah i've never heard heard of this oh my gosh dude okay well i'm really excited to tell you about it so s town in the same way that you were talking about with like i think it was called the mlk files Mm -hmm. it's a short series so there's um i think six episodes in this series and each one is well i think there's actually five episodes yeah well there's five episodes um each one is under an hour um it's investigative journalism okay so this is an npr podcast host is brian reed it's the same people who put on like this american life Mm. um it's about this guy named john b mclemore and he there is a murder that happens in his town in alabama his town Mm. they call it shit town or s town shit town is what they call it like i think on the podcast but s town maybe for i don't know can't just have shit on there i don't know whatever (laughs) so the name of the podcast is s town but there's a murder that happened in his town and he is like that is bad it's Mm. not okay and so he's calling up to like the new york times and to to people being like you guys need to you guys should come down and investigate this like and he is just such a an eccentric character Mm -hmm. that i think the people who got these messages and these inquiries from him were just really intrigued about him because they were like who is this dude who keeps (laughs) calling and if you listen to the podcast you will find out in the first 10 minutes what an eccentric and interesting guy he was. Um, I don't want to give too, too much away because this podcast is really like, it'll keep you on the edge of your seat. It's really interesting, but it's, it's basically just uncovering the hit, what happened. There was a murder. What happened? And how is John B. McLemore involved? How are the people in his life also involved? Um, it's got queer elements. It's got, it's, it is hard to listen to at times, you know, there's like a lot of, uh, it's, there's a lot of language, like intense language descriptions of kind of traumatic events, racism, ableism for sure. Like there's, they, so it's a little bit, it can be a little bit jarring to listen to at times, but they do a pretty good job with it. And, I don't know. I thought it was, I think it's really interesting. So if you're someone who's kind of interested in like true crime, um, but you maybe want something that's also a little bit more narrative based, you're into the true crime, but maybe you want something that's a little longer um, and more descriptive and has more elements of like character building, getting to know who this guy was and Mm -hmm. what his deal was. This is a really, really, really good podcast. So I highly recommend it. Cool. I'm going to put it on the list. Yeah. Put it on the list. S town, not my shit list, but the other list, my podcast put it list. on the good list. Yeah. The podcast list. Yeah. yeah. What are, what have you been listening to there, buddy? Um, well, I've been listening to still processing, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, I listen, I didn't listen to the most recent season from last year. Um, and so I'm listening to it now. Um, and it's by uh, two writers who are critics, uh, culture critics uh, at the New York Times. Um, one, uh, one of whom is named Jenna Wortham and the other is Wesley Morris. Um, they are both really incredible writers um, in their own right. And they have this podcast through the New York Times. 
um, called Still cool. Processing. And it's really phenomenal. Um, it talks a lot about Black culture um, because both of them are Black. Um, and it also just talks that there's like a bunch of different types of episodes. Um, one of my favorite episodes that I listened to um, a couple of years ago was called The Apology Episode. And it was all about... Mm. Um, famous cultural time, famous moments in cultural history, um, where a a big apology had to happen or a big apology happened. So they talk about like everything from like the, the Justin Timberlake and Britney's apologizing to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson to like, you know, the OJ Simpson trial to like, they just, they kind of cover a lot of different cultural moments. Um, and do they talk about like the difference? I mean, I can just listen to it, but do they talk about difference between like, Oh, political apologies or like legal apologies. Here's an entertainer apology. That's interesting. Yeah. I really like, um, so they, they kind of recreate a lot of cultural moments and like from their own experience and then also from like people they know like and also just kind of how they came to know about these like these cultural moments um and kind of the lasting effect that these moments have um totally so you know the the, one of the episodes is you know like that and then there's other episodes that are just they're just have really creative um thoughtful ideas um and I always listen to them and again I I do love a podcast where I feel like I'm hanging out with some buds um and their podcast is very much like that they um talk about music they talk about books they talk about movies they talk about cultural Mm -hmm. moments in pop culture um and they're just you know they talk about Lil Nas X they'll talk about a song like a genre of music that they really like and identify with they talk about um you know a movie that's really critically acclaimed or things like that and it kind of each episode is just a different genre of pop culture or the current or past culture um and for someone who's really into pop culture or just historical cultural historical moments um it's very satisfying for me to listen to yeah um cool yeah Yeah, you've recommended that one to me before you you've sent me texts with episodes of that one and i think i've listened to some of the episodes but i want to go back to it because i really i liked it I liked the vibe when I first listened to it, you know, the first time. So mm-hmm. I should go back, check it out. Oh yeah, definitely worth, I'll, I'll, I'll curate an episode list of my favorites for yeah, you. Dude. Um, um, speaking of podcasts, yes. yo, we, I want all of our fans to know that we had our first somewhat decent recommend. Oh, Laura, do you want to tell us about it? Yes. Okay. So some of you may know that I sew. Turns out the sewing community on Instagram is amazing and magical, super sweet and supportive, very cool, interesting people. Um, and one of those people is Woolbitch, or uh, I really hope that your your handle is pronounced Woolbitch and not like Woolbick or Woolbike. We don't know. We don't know, but her name's Rebecca. And uh, Rebecca was very kind kind enough to video in and leave us a, a message about with some recs um yeah that we will definitely take um and one of the things that she rec- recommended was that Seth Rogen has a podcast which I didn't know um I didn't and know I'm either. really excited to listen to it I'm stoked to check it out honestly we were so excited when we saw our little uh inbox bling and Laura and I were like oh my 
gosh, we have more than one fan. We got really excited. So, so thank thanks, you. Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. That's my middle name also. So I feel like we already have a lot in common. So yeah, that's cool. But wrap this thing up with the yeah. um just a like, subscribe, follow our Spotify and uh, Instagram account if you haven't already. So at somewhat decent reviews. Um, yeah, don't forget to um, go ahead and share this podcast out to all your friends. Um, yeah. Tell tell your friends, tell your family. Yeah, we gotta um, we gotta you know buy a house in Ireland. So yeah, we uh, Molly <laughs> and I have big plans to retire in Ireland. So you know, if you could just share this podcast, that would really us. help our cause. Yeah. Anyways, we love you all. Love you. And good night. And see you later. See you next time on Somewhat Decent Reviews.